But, in the meantime, you get me. Now, you guys know, every time I've gotten on this stage, I like to uh, get a little response from you. I like to poke you a little bit and get you to talk back at me. So I'm going to try this. I did this last time. God is good? That was pretty good. Let's try it again. God is good? And all the time? Now, I come from a... uh, you might call it Pentecostal background. Where I come from, we just call it a spirit-filled background. And the person who taught me there, who got me there and taught me how to do it, is actually in the building today. So spirit, my spiritual mentor and guide, the person who made me the crazy person that I am today, my mom is here. So mom, stand up. Stand up. That's my mom, Darlene. She normally comes to church Armed with a tambourine, she brought maracas today. She brought a little... Oh, the tambourine's here! The tambourine is here! All right, well, we might get a little tambourine action later. But see, that's where I come from, is you go to church, you bring your own tambourine, and when it hits you, you get down on the get-down, all right? And here, we're a little bit more reserved, but we're going to get down today. So, my beautiful wife. Stand up, Jenny. Okay. But the person that she is, she comes from some pretty impressive stock, too. And all the way in the back, I want my mother-in-law, Amy, to please stand up. She is here. That's Jenny's mom. She has blessed our family in a lot of ways. She is uh, how Jenny got to be who she is today, so I praise God for her. But we have a very special guest from my family in the house. I don't know if he can stand, but if you look right next to my mother-in-law, Amy, there's my grandpa-in-law, John Melander. He's 96 years old. He is a World War II veteran, United States Marine Corps. Yeah. And I, I love him to death. I think he's the most amazing guy I've probably ever known. He is a great example for me of what a... a Father of God and a man and a father and a husband is supposed to lead his family. So, I never get up here without getting emotional. But I love you, Grandpa. All right. <clears throat> Let's pray. Maybe I'll get my act together. <clears throat> Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to just come before your people in your church. I thank you for the students who help lead worship and who have blessed my life and who continue to bless this church. I thank you for each and every person here and how they love us and support us. And I just pray that as we represent you today that my words would be your words and that hearts and minds would be open to what you have for us today. I pray that it is received. I pray that lives are changed and I pray that your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So today we're going into Acts 18 and 19. And if you have your phone, you can go to the Version app. We've been doing this for a couple of weeks. You can go into the Version app, click on the little lines at the bottom right, go to events, and you'll see our church on the list. And you can follow along on your phone, or you can bring out your Bible. Imagine that. And turn to Acts 18. There is so much here, it's hard to cover it all. So I'm going to give you a quick snapshot of the the scene, and we're going to get into three points. Those three points are about missing. What's missing from your life? We're going to give examples of three things that are missing from people in this text. And then we're going to talk about what may or may not be missing in your life. So without further ado, I'm going to read Acts 18, 1 through 6. After this... Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, 
who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Now, Corinth was a major city. Whereas Athens was the intellectual capital and Rome was like New York, where everything kind of happened to where everything came from, Corinth was a major city that was both intellectual and commercial. They had two harbors. They had tons of wealth and tons of business going through there. It was an amazing place and an amazing experience. I think it's kind of like Miami. It wasn't as crazy as New York, but it was a party town. And in the interest of Family Sunday, I'm going to keep this as PG as possible, but um, old Greek, an old Greek saying was to, to be a Corinthian was to uh, fornicate. How about that? It was a place that was a fallen place. They had a lot of sin in that territory. We'll keep it PG. But they also had a lot of wealth and a lot of money in the way that they presented things. So Paul was really going into the lion's den here when he went to Corinth. And so the other thing I want to point out, verse 2, it says, Because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Why did they leave Rome? Well, number one, Claudius had decided that there was too much infighting between the Jews and the Christians. So he kicked them out of Rome. Now, this is a problem throughout all of Acts, throughout most of the New Testament, the Jews versus the Christians, right? There's tons of infighting. There's always bickering. But here in Acts 18, God tells Paul, don't worry. Do not be afraid. Keep preaching. Keep teaching. I am with you. So you see lives change. It's actually really cool. If you read verse or chapter 18 and you see some of the names, those names are mentioned again later in the Bible as people who came to find the Lord. So I won't get into all that in the interest of time, but I want to keep going here. Verse 3, though he could have been supported by the church in Corinth, instead Paul worked as a tent maker. Now, I don't want you to think that tent makers had it easy because the tents we have nowadays are these lightweight, waterproof, easygoing things. A better term would be leather worker. This is hard labor, working in the sun, sweaty, tired, cutting up leather, making all kinds of things. But the cool part, in my opinion, was that God gave him partners. Now, many speakers that would come to Corinth would actually charge to speak. They would charge so that they could hear you because they were into debate, kind of like Athens, like we talked about last week. But Paul didn't want to charge, so he did this backbreaking hard labor six days a week. And on the Sabbath, he would go and teach the people on Sunday about Jesus. But as he always did, he met some resistance. And towards the end, he said, hey, I'm not going to worry about you guys. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. You deal with it. So... When financial support arrived from Philippi, Paul was able to put aside the tent-making thing for a while and concentrate fully on the task of building the church in Corinth. But Priscilla and Aquila were with him, helping him along the way. So I want to go to Acts 18:24 through 28. This is the ministry of Apollos. And I'm going to read this now. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately. Then he knew only the, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, 
The brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. And when he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. All right, who is Apollos? Let's talk about this. Alexandria had a huge Jewish population. They were very well educated, very smart. This is in fact where what we call the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, was translated. So these guys in Alexandria definitely knew their stuff. So Apollos also knew his stuff. He was very well, well taught, well learned in the scriptures. But that word learned in Greek also means eloquent. So this guy was a great speaker. He was a passionate speaker. And he was excited. As we keep going, he says he taught accurately about Jesus. And the word about is about concerning the things around Jesus. But he didn't really know who Jesus was. He taught about Jesus because he received the baptism of John. John's baptism was repentance. Turn away from your sin. There is the coming Messiah. So I think what I want to, what I want to present to you is that he knew about Jesus, but he didn't know Jesus. He knew who Jesus was, but he wasn't aware of his teaching, his, his, the Great Commission. He wasn't aware of the promise of the Holy Spirit. He just knew about a guy named Jesus. So when I think of Apollos, I think about, well, how about this? How many people in here are married? How many of you remember your best man speech? Do you know who it was? Do you remember who it was? Was it good or was it bad? Okay, it was good? Chances are if it was good, it's because you knew the guy. The guy knew you very well. Okay, if he didn't know you, that's probably why it was bad. Either that or he drank too much. But I imagine Apollo's kind of like a best man giving a best man speech for somebody he doesn't know. It's like, hey, there's this wonderful guy, Jesus. And uh, yeah, he's great. And yeah, <laughs> give it up for Jesus, you know. But what I think Apollo's was, was going for, actually here, we'll talk about this. When it says that he was fervent in the spirit, it literally means that he was boiling over in enthusiasm, boiling in the spirit. So this guy would knew what he was passionate. He was excited. He was eloquent. He was smart. He came from a background where his faith was solid. But guess what? He didn't know Jesus. So Apollos was missing intimate knowledge of Jesus. That's his missing piece. And so I, I think, well, lucky for him, he had Priscilla and Aquila. Now, Priscilla and Aquila explained, meaning to expose or set out. That word explained in Greek really means to enlighten. They enlightened him. They illuminated what he was talking. They filled in the blanks and gave him what he was missing about the personhood of Jesus. Another way of saying it would be that they introduced him to him. It was almost like a long-distance relationship. I know this guy, Jesus. He's over here. He's really cool. But then he didn't really know who he was. So they enlightened him. And I want to talk, point something out to you. If you notice, Priscilla's name appears first. Priscilla was instrumental in Paul's ministry and in developing Apollos. So anybody, and I'm sorry if I offend you, but anybody who has a problem with women teaching or women in ministry, I don't see such a problem when Priscilla's doing her thing. So if you like, I'll give you an example. Everybody knows we're doing the Faith Cafe, right? Have you seen it? Wake up, people. Faith Cafe, have you seen it? Okay. A lot of hard work went into making this Faith Cafe look where it is today. It's not done yet, but I can tell you when it started, poor Eric, and I'm sorry, Eric, poor Eric set up a time to scrape up the carpet. It was on a Friday night, so I had youth group. I wasn't part of that group. But Eric had him, I think Byron, a couple other guys were there to pull up this carpet. So what happened? They started to pull it up, and it was stuck to the ground in this nasty, sticky, tar-type substance. It was horrible. And this is the first strip 
This isn't even the whole Faith Cafe. So I'm there for two hours for youth group, and at the end of the two hours, they haven't made much headway. I saw poor Byron on the ground with a chisel and a hammer trying to chisel away this stuff. Eric's down there with a chisel and a hammer trying to chisel away this tar, and they're working like, oof. Like, I was so glad I had youth group that night. I was like, whew, you guys are killing it. And then they sent Steve Lazar. Steve, where are you? In the back. They sent Steve to Home Depot to get these uh, scrapers. So they had a better tool. They were scraping and scraping and scraping. But we still got, what, two strips done that night? So at the end of the night, everybody's hands are bleeding. Everybody's blistered. They're tired and they're frustrated. But I got to tell you one thing. At the beginning of the night, Jenny was there helping me out with the group. She saw them with a hammer and chisel. And she says, isn't there a machine that does this? And Eric, in his infinite wisdom and energy, says, I am the machine. <laughs> so he went after it, scraping and scraping and scraping. Steve came back from Home Depot, and they're scraping and scraping and scraping. And then Mike Jones shows up, and Mike Jones walks in and goes, wow, you guys are working really hard. Isn't there a machine for this? <laughs> Finally, we got a machine. So the next day, they're in there with the machine, and everything's going really well. And then Tony shows up, and Tony says, why are you scraping? <laughs> and it turns out we didn't have to scrape it in the first place. All we had to do was pull up the carpet, and there's this glaze that would have smoothed everything out. But hours of pain and frustration and sorrow had us scraping and chiseling and rinsing machines and breaking a machine and getting a second machine. <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. But guess what? When Mike showed up, the team was enlightened. He showed them, hey, there's a machine. Jenny said, there's a machine. Tony said, you don't have to scrape this at all. They were enlightened as to what they were supposed to do in that faith cafe. So the moral of the story is, there is always someone who knows better, and a lot of times it's a woman, like Priscilla. Can I get an amen, ladies? All right. When I say that Priscilla and Aquila were instrumental in Paul's ministry, you've got to look at Romans 16, 3 through 4. He says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. This is an amazing impact that these two people had. This is an amazing impact that they had on the church. I mean, a lot of us wouldn't be here right now if not for Priscilla and Aquila and, of course, Apollos. Now, Apollos went to Achaia, which is back to Corinth. Remember, they're in Ephesus. Apollos went back to Corinth and carried on the work of Paul. And Priscilla and Aquila wrote to the church, vouching for him, basically saying, this guy is our guy. We love him. He's been trained up, and we're sending him. Now, Apollos was very similar to Paul. He had really good Old Testament knowledge, and he had good background. And some people even think he wrote the book of Hebrews. So Apollos was a big, big impact. And actually, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. Apollos is a model for you and I. I feel like Apollos right now in what I'm doing at school. Because I feel called. I'm passionate. I've got an energy. I'm boiling over. But I have to be willing to listen and be taught so that then I can be encouraged and then I can be sent. But it's not just preachers and teachers. It's all of us. The reason you're sitting in this room right now is because you're called. The Lord has called you to his family. And you have to because hopefully you're passionate about that. I hope you're passionate about it. If not, you better get passionate real quick. You've got to be willing to listen. You have to be willing to learn. Then you can be encouraged, and then you can be used. You can be sent. So do you lack knowledge? Are you ripping up floors with a chisel? How do you get the knowledge? 
Last time I was up here, I talked about uh, habits, having a quiet time with God, having an accountability partner, Bible memorization, involvement in a church ministry, tithing and offering, and studying scripture. Those are the habits that I'm trying to teach our youth. That's how you develop those, that knowledge. That's how you, I'll put it this way. If you want to make a good best man speech, you better know the bridegroom. Amen? All right. Let's go to Ephesians, uh, Acts 19, 1 through 6. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, And what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. And Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in tongues and prophecy. There were about 12 men in all. Now, this sounds kind of similar to Apollos. He had heard the baptism of John. He didn't quite know Jesus. They had the baptism of John. They didn't quite know Jesus. But that's not what they were missing. They're called disciples, which means they were followers. They know who Jesus was, and they're following Jesus. But what were they missing? And I don't know if... I'll put it to you like this. Why did Paul ask them about the Holy Spirit? I think it's because he saw, or perhaps didn't see, something in their walk, in their faith, that made him believe that the Holy Spirit was within them, was dwelling inside them and changing them. You see... John 15 says that the Holy Spirit will testify about Jesus and will empower us to testify about Jesus. So we had people with knowledge, but they weren't applying it. There was no fruit. If you know the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 23 to 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these such things there is no law. So he was missing fruit. Paul was a fruit inspector, y'all. He walked in, he saw these guys who said they were disciples, and said, he noticed something's missing. You guys ever hear this? It's a slang term. Some, some of you might not be familiar, but there's a game-recognized game. You ever hear that before? No? You guys with me? Might be a little too old for my young people, a little too young for some of my older people. You with me? 37, right here, 37. I'm going to tell you a story. The way I got here today, my mom and all that's true, but I had a, one of my best friends died in a motorcycle accident in June 2005. And it was after he died that all my friends are sitting around talking about what happens when you die. Do you believe in heaven? Do you believe in hell? Who is God? Who is Jesus? Why do bad things happen to good people? And I started to tell them what the Bible said. Now, it looked at me like, the Bible? Who are you? Guess what? My fruit was rotten. I didn't have fruit. I had biblical knowledge. I knew who Jesus was. I was able to share a scripture. Hey, the Bible says this. But they looked at me and said, you're looking really unfamiliar right now. The game did not recognize game. My fruit wasn't there. So if you're a fruit inspector, we have to see, are you living your life in such a way that is glorifying and pleasing to God? Are you living your life in such a way that when people see you, they see Jesus? Because when they looked at me, they saw a drinking buddy. They saw a weed smoking buddy. They saw uh, going out trying to find girls, buddy. They saw all this guy, but they didn't see Jesus. The question is, when your friends look at you, do they see Jesus in you? If we inspect your fruit, are we going to see it? Is it good fruit? 
Is it love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness? Because when the fruit inspector comes, how do you measure up? Now, I'm going to jump down to uh, Acts 19, 11, and 12. It says that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched him were taken to the sick, and their illness was cured, and the evil spirits had left him. This is kind of a funny aside. These weren't handkerchiefs, people. These were sweat rags. He was a tent maker. He tied aprons around his waist. He had head wraps and scarves that he would wipe. People would literally come into his camp and take his sweat rags to go back to someone else and put it on them to see if they would be healed. And if you remember, they did the same thing with Peter. People would line up in the streets so that Peter's shadow could fall on them so they could be healed. This is how much fruit, this is how much holiness that they saw in these men's walk, that when they walked down the street, they just wanted the shadow to fall on them. If I could just get his sweat rag and put it on my child, I believe that my child will be healed. That's the kind of fruit that we're called to show the world. When people look at you, do they see Jesus in you? When people look at you, do they see fruit, good fruit, a good bearing tree? Or do they just see another guy who comes to church on Sunday? Acts 19, 13 through 20. Sons of Seba. Is it Seba? I think it's Stephen. All right. Some Jews went around driving out evil spirits and tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Siva, Jewish priests, were doing this. And one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. And when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Verse 13, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. When you call on God, do you dial direct or do you make a three-way call? In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, they weren't ready to go to Jesus on their own. They had to call somebody else in. Paul, they needed an assist. Now, I don't want to talk trash about any other churches in the area, but I kind of have to. Sorry. If your pastor is the only way that you find Jesus, to the point where you have to watch him on a TV screen, y'all know who I'm talking about, in order to get close to Jesus, that's a three-way call. If the only time you open your Bible is on Sunday... That's a three-way call. The only time you pray is when you come into this building. This building is not your faith. This church is not your faith. Eric is not your faith. I'm not your faith. And Lee is not your faith. Your faith is your personal relationship with Jesus. If the only time you talk to the Lord is in this building, you're doing it wrong. If the only time you get on your knees and you praise and thank the Lord or you sing a song or you make a request is in this stinking building, you're doing it wrong. I want, and what I want for my son, what I want for these kids is a passion and a knowledge and and a a conviction. And that's what these guys are missing. They're missing confidence and and conviction in the Lord. One day the, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, 
Paul I know, but who are you? Don't miss this. The demon knows who Jesus is. Well, of course, he's God. He knows who Jesus is. But he also knows who's working for him. He said, I know Jesus, and I know Paul. Paul is just human, but he recognizes Paul because Paul is a threat. He recognizes Paul because Paul is doing work against him. But who are you? I recognize Paul, but who are you? Does the enemy recognize you? Does the enemy see you as a threat? That when the crap comes, when the battle comes, when the storm comes, does he say, I recognize Eric. I recognize Pete. I recognize Steve. I recognize Claire, Coral. Does he recognize you? Are you a threat to the enemy? When you get on your knees and you pray, does he know who you are? Or does he say you're looking mighty unfamiliar right now? This might be a hard question. I'm not saying you've got to go around casting out demons. But we're in spiritual warfare, people. Every day. Every day we face the enemy and every day we face challenges. But do you know where you stand? I'm going to tell you a quick story. I used to work as a bouncer in Colorado. Yes, surprise. <clears throat> it was the only nightclub slash bar in town that was worth, you know, two pennies. So everybody wanted to get in. And there were lots of different stations throughout the bar. You could work the stage with the DJ. You could be up at the top bar, make sure nobody got in that wasn't supposed to be drinking. There was also the door. Pat people down, make sure they're not trying to bring any weapons in, check their IDs, make sure they're the right age. But one day, I think I was on the stage, which is my favorite place because I love music, and I got a call on the radio, Chris, come to the front, Chris, come to the front. So I leave my station, I go to the front, and one of my friends, his name is Nick, he's sitting there and he says, hey, Chris, I need you to be our identification inspector, your ID specialist. I said, okay. He hands me a driver's license. And I looked at it, and I knew right away it was fake. It's a California driver's license. Now, keep in mind, I'm in Colorado. So this guy lays into me. You idiot. You doofus, son of a, son of a, you have no idea what you're talking about. That idea is real. That idea is perfect. You're just, you just don't know what a California ID looks like. You're just dumb. You guys better let me in. I'm going to call the cops, yada, yada, yada. And I stood there, and I took this for about 30 minutes. Ah, 30 seconds, I'm sorry. 30 seconds. <laughs> and I listened to him. When the guy stopped to take a breath, he goes, you don't even know what a California license looks like. And I just went like this. And I held mine up next to his. And I said, does it look like this? And you could just see the guy's shoulders slumped. And he walked away. And that was it. It was kind of funny. Actually, a couple other people in line left, too. I guess they bought from the same guy. <laughs> but I was able to weather that storm of insults and calling me a dummy and an idiot, not because I'm so cool, even though I like to think I'm cool, because I knew who I was. I was a former resident of California. And you got a crappy California ID. And not only did I know who I was, I knew what was in my wallet. I knew that I could, without a shadow of a doubt, beyond any doubt, prove this man wrong so the attacks didn't bother me. The attacks came at me and I withstood the storm because I knew who I was and I knew what I had. In my wallet was a California driver's license and that was the proof that he was wrong. So what's in your wallet? <laughs> Do you stand in the confidence of knowing who you are in Jesus? Are you confident about what you have and what you possess? If you're not, why not? Anybody?
I'll tell you what. Apollos was missing knowledge. He didn't know Jesus intimately. He really needed to get to know him better. I'll put it to you like this. If you don't know him, you better know him. You better take the time to read your Bible, to spend time in prayer. You have to take those steps to become intimate. You have to take those steps to get that true knowledge and build that relationship. Because if all you do is come in here and crack a Bible, then, and I hate to give this to you, but Matthew 7 is talking about you. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does, not, who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Does he know you? Does Jesus know who you are? Does the enemy know who you are? Does the enemy recognize you as a threat because you have an intimate knowledge and relationship with Jesus? What pieces are you missing? Is it knowledge? Is it practical application? Is it the confidence? I think we're all missing something. But if you're thinking right now in your chair, hey, I'm good, I've got all the pieces, great, I'm happy for you. Now find somebody whose pieces are missing and help them find theirs. It ain't about you. It's about you first. And then it's about changing your walk, changing your knowledge, and changing your confidence, and pouring it into other people. My goal today is not to yell at you, not to tell you how you're all missing and, you know, deficient. My goal is to ask you to do some self-examination. Maybe it's knowledge, maybe it's practical application, maybe it's conviction, but I want you to do some real deep digging in yourself to try to think and recognize what you might be missing. So I'm going to ask the band to come back up. We're going to do two songs during this time of reflection and response. If you think you might be missing a piece, this is a great time to talk to the Lord about what you may be missing. If you need prayer, where are my elders? Elders, please stand up. Elder couples. You've got Byron and Diane right up front. You've got Rich here, Tom. If you want prayer, you need prayer, maybe it's healing. Maybe something's bothering you physically or emotionally. Go to them. They'll pray with you and for you and give you healing. If you don't know the Lord for whatever reason and you want to take that first step in coming to know him, if you feel like there's something missing from your walk and from your life, I encourage you to come up here, pray, kneel, lie down. There's no wrong way. Find Byron, find Rich. Just, have, just be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself and be honest with the Lord. These two songs, which the students are going to sing and play, which is beautiful, but this is really a time for you just to really ask yourself, where you are and not just where you are with the Lord, but where you are in serving and helping others. Do you have that knowledge? Are you applying it? And are you convicted and confident in who you are in him? Thank you.